0: Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this gathering of your people and that you are with us always. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill this space and move our hearts for the kingdom, May we be a church that embodies this passage. I pray over Justin as he shares with us this morning that you would speak through him today. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, You can be seated. Thank you. Well, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. If you've been with us the past few weeks, we've been walking through a series called Immeasurably More. And our hope and really our, our drive for the last several weeks is taken from Ephesians 3.20, where it says that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. I mean, we want to believe that. We want to participate in the mission of God as if that is true. It is true. We want to live, move, dream, and act as if there is a God who is able. That's our, our hope, our desire, our prayer. And if you're with us, obviously many times we're walking through books of the Bible, but we've taken this season uh, to really just illustrate different passages or evidences of scripture of people who believe that God can do immeasurably more. And so we spent some time talking about Peter walking out on the water and the bold request of Peter uh, asking Jesus to call him out. And we said that... We dream of being a church that makes bold requests of God because we believe in a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Weird noises in the back? Maybe. All right. There we go. And I believe, honestly, when we make bold requests of God and we move in bold ways, the enemy likes to distract us just like he just did, right? And uh, so it's important. Let's pray again this morning as we focus and we ask for the Spirit to give us ears to hear what he wants to teach us and speak to us this morning. Father, would you just this morning, would you come in this room, remove any distractions? Lord, I believe that this message is one that calls us to go. I remember back on seasons in in our ministry where we've openly shared and and taught on going, and I feel like in many ways we've, we've felt immobilized or distracted. Lord, I think the enemy wants nothing more than for us to just sit and be happy and be comfortable and not believe that there's a bigger calling and mission in the world today. So I pray that you would protect your word today, that you would protect our time this morning, that we would be compelled, as you compelled the first disciples, to go and make disciples. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So like I was saying, we we dream of a church that makes bold requests of God because we believe in a God who's able to do immeasurably more. We talked about Abraham and Isaac, and we talked about his faith, that we desire to be a church that experiences signs and wonders as a tangible expression of God's kingdom. We talked last week about the persistent widow and seeing the nature and character of God is not like that of the judge who does not fear God and who does not care for mankind and we want to be a church that prays. We want to be a church that believes that God is able. And as much as you may hear these messages and us dreaming about a church, it seems like there's a lot for us to do. And there is. There's commands in Scripture. I think a lot of us who believe the gospel, who know of God's grace, can easily get to a place in life where it's not about what we do, but it's about who God is, and I would say it's both. It's all about our motivation for why we do what we do. And our hope and our drive through immeasurably more has not been to give us more stuff to do, but to give us the picture of a God who is. And that as we catch a vision for who God is, as we come to an understanding of the nature and character of God, that we would be compelled that it would give us the motivation to go. It's important that we have a right understanding of who God is. You've heard me quote this before. A.W. Tozer says this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that's true. That we would have right doctrine, that we would have a right understanding of who God is. We said over the past few weeks, as we've clarified this dream, that we dream of a church deployed across the valley with clarity on the mission and vision of God for Ecclesia. But it starts with God. It starts with God. There was a time when we first started Ecclesia that we really. Kind of drove home the mission and vision of Ecclesia. In, in fact, we asked all of our community groups to basically come to a place of commitment together. We believe that we were called to be a family of missionary servants in this city. And to be a family of missionary servants required us to make some commitments of one another. So we asked, how are we? And imagine sitting in your living room with a group of of people around that room and discovering how in the next four to six months, how are we going to live out our identity of family? How are we going to be family? And let's put some really practical steps in that. Now it wasn't just family for family's sake, it was because God is our Father and it started with a right understanding of who God is. If God is our Father, then we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we're to live out this family identity. And so we would, we would sit there and we would discover what does it look like for us to be family? What are the things that we are going to do? We're gonna get, commit to care for one another's needs. We're co- gonna commit to get together outside of the Sunday gathering several times a month. We're gonna, gonna commit to regularly pray for one another, encourage one another, forgive one another. This is what it meant for us to be family. We talked about what does it mean for us to be missionaries. And we strategized as a community group, as a group of people, what does it look like for us to come together to live into the missional identity that God has given us because the Holy Spirit has come. We are sent. We have been sent with the power of God to go and proclaim the good news to all people. And if that's true and that's true about the nature and character of God, then we are to be missionaries. And so how are we going to do that? And there were some very practical things that we said, that this is how we're going to step into that. There was some clarity around who God is and what it was that we are to do. And that's what we're kind of doing with this series, that we want you to have clarity about who God is, who we are, and what we do. We talked about dreaming of a church that is welcoming and warm to those who are far from God, a church whose members extend the love and grace of the Father through servant's hands. We said we dream of, a, of planting three churches in five years. We dream of a church that cares for nations and is actively involved in supporting, resourcing, and establishing churches in other parts of the world. And when I read this, I don't know about you, but I'm a doer. Anybody else a doer? All right, if you're a doer, raise your hand. I love the doers, all right? The doers, and, and, and we also got the thinkers, right? Who are our thinkers in the room? All right? Love it. And a lot of you are like not even wanting to admit it. You're like, I'm not even going to raise my hand. The doers are like, yes, I'll raise my hand. I'm doing it, right? We're excited. Oh, he told me to do something. I'm going to do it. I'm ready to go. There is a lot of competition between doers and thinkers, There's a lot of people in our church who's like, we gotta go. We gotta get out. And there's a lot of people who are like, well, let's come up with a plan. Like, let's sit down. Let's strategize. And and here's what I want you to hear. They're both needed. They're both needed. The thinkers in the room are gonna tell Justin Bindle, you need to slow down. Just calm down. Like, it's gonna be okay. Like, let's come up with a plan. And I was like, we will have already tried four things while you're busy strategizing it, right? And I can already tell you what you're strategizing doesn't work because we've already tried it while you were strategizing it, right? And there's a lot of like, you know, when we think about like the shaping and sanctification, like we have a lot of doers and thinkers in the room and and there's gonna be a lot of like rub between that, relational rub, and we need each other. We need strategy. We need to process and think through how we're going to do this, that's key. We need people sometimes to slow us down. But we also need some people to light a fire under people, right? And be like, hey, we have to step away from the whiteboard and actually go do something. We gotta go. We gotta do this. And so the whole idea in all of this is we can easily go about doing things and do things with the wrong motivation. We can, we can do things out of just this ambitious spirit and not because it comes from the nature and character of God. And we, when we believe that it's properly aligned, we've always said here, and we proclaim it over and over and over again, that who God is shapes what God does, shapes who we are, and shapes how we live. How we live is based on who God is and what he's done in and through our lives and in the world. A lot of times we want to flip that upside down and we want to go and do to earn an identity, to earn achievements for ourselves so that God will love us. And what I want you to hear is in the right order, God loves you, God is passionate about you, He's not looking for a future version of you. He loves you just as you are. And it's in that that motivates us and sends us out that we get to participate in the mission of God. Our hope and prayer is what Acts 13, 36 says, it says, for David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and laid with his fathers. Our hope is that every single one of us would serve our purpose for our generation that God would utilize us in such a way that we would be the sent people of God, participating in the mission of God, and that's my hope. So, my job this morning is to motivate us to go. We gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta strategize, and we gotta go. And I think there's three ways I can motivate you this morning. Remember the calling of Jesus, remember the obedience of the saints and remember the heart of the father i'm going to break these down for us this morning like previous weeks i'm not just hoping to leave you with stuff to do that you feel like you're walking out of the room and there's stuff to do i hope to leave you with a vision of god the heart of the father good news for you and if you believed it you would share it that's basically what participating in the mission of god participating in evangelism is. It's sharing the good news of Jesus with a world that's full of bad news. We're surrounded by a world full of bad news. Would you agree? We turn on the news, it's full of bad news. Social media, full of bad news. It's full of bad news. The world needs good news. And you know who has the good news? We do. We have the good news, the good news of Jesus. I think we need to start believing it for ourselves because if we really believed it was good news, we'd share it. Because all the other good news that happens in your life, you share. You share it on social media. You call up your friends. Let me tell you what happened to me. And so we need to believe the good news of Jesus. And so we start with the calling of Jesus, and this is found in the Great Commission that we just read. What did Jesus call us to? Some of the last words of Jesus with his disciples were found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority now I took a little bit of Greek and Hebrew in seminary and the word all there let me let me help you understand what that means it means all all authority right and you're like man we came to hear this guy this morning right all means all all authority authority over government yep praise the Lord authority over cities and states, yep, authority over authorities, yep, authority over lives, authority over hearts, authority over our kids, authority over our families, authority over our neighborhoods, authority over our finances, he has all authority, not just in heaven, where else, on earth, where we exist right now, he has all authority, that's good news, It's been given to him. Therefore, and it tells me that if that's true, then we're going to be fruitful if we're obedient to this call. It tells me that this work will not be in vain. That the Lord is going to be faithful to carry out this work because he already said, it's all mine. I'm over it all. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. If you know what? The word there, go, means it means go. It means as you go, as you're going. Now, I'm a firm believer in taking mission trips and taking a week out of your year to set aside to go and serve and, and share the good news of Jesus with a particular people group. I'm all about that. But I'm more about the everyday mission of God that says, as you go, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your home, in your family, that we're called to make disciples. It's not a -a one-time-a-year event. We're called to go, as we go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you even to the end of the day. That's good news. I'm I'm called to go. He's given me all authority. All authority is is belonging to him. He's over. He has power over all. He's called me to do three things. He's called me to make disciples. He's called me to baptize them. He's called me to teach them. And he's going to go with me. That's good news, right? Now, what's interesting about all of this is when I look at this passage, I wonder... Are we actually participating in this great commission, in this call of Jesus? And so there's some challenge this morning. The challenge is, who is the last person you have walked with by God's grace and have seen them become a disciple of Jesus, baptized, and have taught them all that Jesus taught the disciples? And I think if we're honest this morning, if we were to do by raise of hands, say how many of us have done that, have participated in that in the last month, in the last six months, in the last year? And the reality is is 90% of believers die as Christians, never having shared their faith or discipled anyone. And we wonder why in the world Are we not seeing more and more people come to faith and more and more people saved day by day? There's a calling of Jesus upon our life as disciples of Jesus to go and make disciples. We are to be faithful in this. And so if I were to start off, like what is the motivation in this? The motivation is to be obedient to Jesus. He told us to do it. And you're like, well, that's not very motivating. I I get it, we'll get there. Because I understand that. I have kids and I tell them to be obedient all the time and they don't listen to me either, right? And so we understand that. But this is the calling of Jesus upon our lives, that we would go. And he's not calling all of us to be pastors and missionaries, but he is calling us to live into our missional identity, into the everyday mission of God. That wherever God has you, wherever God's placed you, he's called you to participate. You get to play a part. If I were to ask you that question and you were to say, I haven't, many of you would come up with reasons of why you haven't. Maybe we're ignorant. We don't feel like it's our responsibility. Maybe it's education. We don't feel prepared or equipped. Maybe it's fear. What are people going to ask me? What if I get rejected? Maybe it's busyness. We say we don't have time. I don't want to seem pushy and offensive. And so I kind of Uh, push off from being able to share it maybe it's lack of opportunity we don't know anyone who's not a disciple of Jesus and I think these are all legitimate reasons and, and we all probably have numerous of those reasons at our disposal but we've been called to be obedient we've been called to be obedient Jesus was obedient to this the disciples were obedient to this we're called to be obedient to this. And so it's important that we remember the call of Jesus. But second of all, we need to remember the obedience of the saints. That we have forerunners who have gone before us who have been faithful in this. If we know anything about the story of God, the unfolding of Scripture, we'll see that the Father came, in the beginning was God, and God created mankind, and that that mankind was meant to live in a way that would represent to the world what God is like, and that this is the story, that he chose Israel to be his redeemed people, and the Israelites would hopefully his desire was that they would be faithful to god that they would walk in obedience that they would show to the world what it looks like to live under the rule and reign of god but if we know the story of the israelites they were unfaithful in that and eventually he would send jesus so god on the scene he sends jesus and jesus comes and jesus comes in the flesh and walks the earth and teaches and says the kingdom of god is at hand and he gathers people to himself and he disciples them and then he tells the disciples just as god the father has sent me i'm going to send the holy spirit and the holy spirit's going to come and it's going to empower you and we're going to see in a little bit that the holy spirit would then send us and we're a part of this grand story to do what to illustrate to the world what it looks like to live under the rule and reign of God. We are the sent ones. We are the people sent to display to the world the good news of Jesus. This is our calling, and we're a part of that story. My question is, is what story dictates the way you live? Some of us are living with the illusion that the story of life is all about what we have to gain in the here and now. That's the story we're living for. And so it's all about gathering possessions and finances and stuff to ourselves. It's all about the enjoyment of the moment. It's all about self-gratification. It's all about instant gratification. And we live under this story. Some of us, we live under the story of, of, achieve, of achievement, and trying to climb the corporate ladder, and if only I get here, this will create satisfaction in my life. This will actually bring fulfillment. Some of us believe and live under the illusion that if we had these relational needs met, then, then truly I would be satisfied, truly I would be content, and we live with that idea of the story. But the true story of the world is that God came in the form of Jesus into a broken world to redeem mankind, to be our king, and that his desire in our life is that we would live under the lordship of Christ, and that we would illustrate to a broken world that this is worthy of our worship, that this is worthy of our time, that this is worthy of our sacrifice, that Christ came, that he broke into our brokenness, that he didn't stay far off, but he came near, And he would go to the cross and he would die for our sins and he would redeem us. He would pull our life out of the pit. He would put us on a rock and stand us in a place where we have a sure foundation. And then all of a sudden, here we are and we've been remembering this and reminding ourselves of all this good news of Jesus pulling us out. Why? So that we would go and tell others. So that we would bring more people into the kingdom. So that we would see more people under the lordship and reign of God because we believe there's no better place to be and that one day we'll stand face to face with Jesus. This is what we've been. This is the story. This is the reality of what we've been called into, church. And anything else, any other story, while they may be good stories, they're counterfeits. They're counterfeits. Michael Goheen says, Clearly, there are many valid activities represented in the images of a church. What is a church here for? What is a church meant to do? The church should be teaching, caring for the poor, providing social connections. These are all great things. But the problem arises when the biblical story and the nature of the church are forgotten. Then these activities are shaped by a different story, and they lose their authentic ecclesial form. It's important for us to be reminded of the story of God. So what is the story? I've shared some, but the early saints, the early disciples of Jesus, the ones that Jesus came and said, Go therefore into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be with you. What did they do with that? Well, it tells us in Acts chapter 1 that they were kind of still standing around. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, Jesus had already gone to the cross. Jesus had had resurrected from the grave. Jesus appears to the disciples, and he comes to the disciples, and they see Jesus, and they say to Jesus in verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit. So, I love this because they're like, hey Lord, are you gonna do this now? And he's like, nope, but you are, you are. Now, it says, if you keep reading in the passage, that that right after that, Jesus ascended and they stood gazing into heaven. You can imagine their response. What did he say? Like, did he say it was us? like we're we're going to go like are you sure like that's what he said maybe he said something different right like they're and they're standing there looking into heaven and i can imagine after a few moments they're kind of like i guess i guess we're supposed to to get to work right and what you're going to see unfold through the rest of the book of acts is this unfolding of a group of people who begin to take this mission seriously. That they were obedient to the call of Jesus on their lives. He's saying, you're going to be sent. And as we talked about last week and the reason we focused on prayer first is because prayer fills the book of Acts. There's barely a page throughout the the story of Acts that doesn't say that the early church was praying. And through their prayer, through their communion of God, they began to participate in the mission of God, and I believe that if we begin communing with God, we'll see that He has called us to the mission of God, that through that communion and the, the remembering of the good news of Jesus that we would be sent. In Acts 2.42, it tells us what the early church did. Many of you are familiar with this. <clears throat> they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed together had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And what was happening? The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I've read that passage for years since becoming a Christian, and I have longed to experience that. I've longed to be a part of a church that's faithful to walking these things out. And I've heard so many critiques of this passage, because I've, I've heard commentators, I've heard scholars, I've heard other pastors look at Acts two forty-two through 47 saying, This is not prescribed. This is not the prescription for every church. Every church is not called to live into this. This was just the description of the early church. And I don't care if it's the prescription or description. I want to experience this. And I hope you want to experience this. I don't want to forfeit an opportunity to be a part of a church that is sacrificially giving of their lives to one another, that are living in community, that are praying together, that are sharing meals together, that are living life on mission together and seeing people come to Jesus regularly. I want to see that. And I think it's okay for us to realize that that's not the reality in most American churches. But it should continue to be our aim. It should continue to be something that we are seeking for and longing for. In Acts chapter 14, verse 21, it tells us what they were doing. It says, when they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. What were they doing there? They were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. Some would say this is a description of the three-legged stool that is needed in every church. Acts chapter 14 says what? It says there, we need new disciples. We need to be making new disciples. It says when they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, we want to be a church that's making disciples. New disciples, new people coming to faith. They had new churches. In verse 23, it says they appointed elders for them in every church. Now, also, they were a part of equipping. In verse 22, it says they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And so they're seeing disciples made, they're seeing new churches planted, and they're equipping people to be more participating in the work of God. Now, I say all that because I I, I want to show you, and again, I'm like, how do I motivate you? One, we show the call of Jesus, and we're called to be obedient. Two, I show you the pattern of early disciples who got to work and were faithful, and they were faithful to that call of Jesus on their life, but I do that because I believe we're going to be called to do the same thing that the book of Acts is talking about. We're called to make new disciples. We're called to plant new churches, and we're called to equip new leaders. You know what's going to require, be required for that to happen? Change. And I say that word, and I can already hear some of us in the room kind of go, ah, change. Right? But here's what I want you to hear the minute we decide to stop changing is the moment we begin to worship comfort over seeing people redeemed by the gospel. Please hear me. I'm not trying to say this morning, hey, we just gotta suck it up. It's for the gospel. Bear change. Just get with the program. We've been called to do this. Be obedient. This is what we've been called to do. It's gonna require change. It's gonna require some of us to be sent out. It's gonna require, it's gonna require some of us to sacrifice a lot. Sacrifice relationships, sacrifice financially, sacrifice where we live, sacrifice our rhythms of life. It's going to cost us. And that cost is a cost. As we've talked about planting three churches, there are some of you who've already mentioned and go, well, that means we're not all going to be together. And I understand that, and that's loss, and that should be grieved it really should and now I will say that I typically speak from the apostolic evangelistic voice and the doer so I'm like I don't understand what do you mean like we're all going to be together like we got to go we're called to reach like the whole reason we're here the reason he didn't call us to heaven immediately is because he's left us here to be sharers and evangelists of his good news But I also recognize that there are shepherds in the room, shepherds who want to care for people deeply, care for souls. And I believe that Jesus embodies all of this. And that we're not to, I'm I'm not trying to undermine that, but I believe the best way we can care for people is to plant new churches. The best way we can love our city well is to have a church that's in proximity to people so that they can experience the good news of Jesus. But it's going to cause us to change. It's going to cause us to step out of our comfort zone. It's going to cause us to sacrifice. I read in Acts chapter 11, verse 29, it says, So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability. I love this. They didn't all give the same. But they gave according to their ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so. They sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Here's what's interesting. Before they considered sending a team of people to other cities and other parts, what did they do? They gave of their wages. They gave of their property. They gave of their storehouses. They gave of their food for the well-being of people they didn't even know. And I can't help reading that passage and think of our sending church in Texas. You've heard me share, our sending church in Texas two years ago did an offering at Thanksgiving. They raised $2.7 million and they said that they would give 10% to go to our church in Salt Lake City. Now here's the deal, two years ago, half of you weren't even here. But they gave to you and they gave to this work and they sacrificially gave to their ability so that God would further his kingdom here in Salt Lake City. They gave of their resources to participate in being a sending church. Here's what I would tell you. Long before we ever send people to start new churches in our, in our church, in our city, we can be a sending church. We can send of our resources. That's what we're seeking to do with our immeasurably more offering that we'll give. I just received an update this last week our Acts 29 network affiliation that we're partnered with, we've already given this year $10,000 towards church planning in the western United States. You guys have. You're participating in that. You're giving towards that. You're supporting that. We, we are participating in what, what Acts chapter 11 says here, that we are sending it by the elders We're giving of those resources. You are sharing what God has given you to see more churches rise up in the Western United States. In Acts chapter 13, though, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. We're gonna be sending people. Did you know we've actually already sent people there have been people who have been equipped over the years here at Ecclesia who have, who have gone out and are, are now participating, serving on staff at other churches. We've participated in that, we, and, and we're going to continue to participate in that. We are going to be a sending church. That's been in our DNA since day one. We've recognized since day one that a church in the valley will not reach the valley. We need multiple churches in the valley. We need multiple communities of people living under the rule and reign of God to help others experience and other neighborhoods experience the reality of Jesus. Lastly, and this is where I get to some hopefully really good motivation. Obviously, we've been called to do this. We've got to be obedient to it. We see that it's been modeled to us by the saints but I want you to remember the heart of the Father for you. Why is it that we should go? Why is it that we should be sent? It's because God the Father sent Jesus to you. God didn't stay far off. God didn't remain socially distanced from you. God came near through Jesus. Why? Because he cares for you. Our best motivation for going, for being sent to the other in our city, is that God the Father came for the other. We see this illustrated in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, I want to read it to us this morning. If you're familiar with the parable that Jesus is going to share here, it's all about lost things. Things that have been lost. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And he uses these parables as a way to illustrate He says, here's the context in verse one through three. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eat with him. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 8. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I think there's three points that I just want to point out real quickly as we come to a close. One, God loves lost people. God loves lost people. And if you're offended by the term lost, we were lost, we were blind. That's all of us, every single one of us. I was lost, Justin Bindle was lost. No, it's hard to imagine, right? You were lost, we were lost, we didn't know our way. But at some point, we came to discover that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. We found our way. We were all lost. We were all like the lost sheep. We were all like the lost son. We were all like the lost coin. And God loves lost people. He had 99 sheep, and he lost one. Had 10 coins and lost one. He went after the lost. The second thing is not only does he love the lost but God goes after the lost. God goes after the lost. The man didn't in the parable didn't wait for his sheep to come home. The woman didn't wait for the coin to reveal itself. In both stories the shepherd and the woman went in an all out pursuit for that which is lost. I love it. We go back all the way to Adam and Eve in the garden. He didn't wait for Adam to come out of hiding. God comes searching for him. God takes the initiative to restore the closeness that once was. What's reality in this is that God pursues us. God pursued every one of us. God is continuing to pursue every one of us. When we sin, when, we lo- when we're lost, God demonstrates his own love to us that while we were yet sinners, while we were doing the very thing that God hated, he pursued us. He didn't turn his back on us. He pursued us. He went in an all-out pursuit for you. For you, the one. We don't find God, God finds us. And this should be humbling to us. The last thing, God celebrates when lost people are found. God celebrates when lost people are found. When we think of this, we think about those who are far from God. They're out of proximity with God. And God comes in to restore proximity, to restore closeness. And the way he does that, Isaiah 53, 6, it says he lays on his shoulders our sin, our iniquities. He longs for reconciliation. I think many of us, we we believe that God is distant from us. We believe that God is standing far off. We believe that God doesn't want to be near, and that is so far from the truth. That God doesn't stand far off that God runs near, that God longs to be in relationship with you, that God is in pursuit of you. And when he restores that proximity, he celebrates. He celebrates. Now, I say all of that this morning because this is exactly what God did to pursue us. There's not a person in this room this morning who has faith in Jesus because you found God. We may think we did, but under the working of all of that, it says no one comes to the Father but by the Holy Spirit drawing him. God was at work. God was pursuing you. And God has orchestrated the events of your life to bring you to this point. There's some of you who are here this morning that God has orchestrated the events of your life to bring you to this point this morning And this morning is an opportunity. God is pursuing you this morning. God is pursuing your heart this morning. God has graciously moved towards us when we were far off. We had nothing in common with him. And if that's the truth, then certainly by God's grace when we remember that when we remember that we were the holy other, we were so apart, we were so unlike God, but yet he pursued us that he would cause me to love people like that and move towards people in hope. The truth is, his mission is not a duty. Evangelism is not a duty. Being a part of the mission of God and sharing the good news of Jesus with a city and saturating a city with the good news of Jesus is not a duty. But it's the outworking and overflow of the gospel working inside us. Bob Thune, who wrote The Gospel Centered Life, says it like this To put it simply, the grace of God is always going somewhere, it's moving forward. It's extending his kingdom. It's propelling his people toward love and service to others. And as we learn to live in light of the gospel, mission should be the natural overflow. God's grace brings renewal internally in us so that it might bring renewal externally through us. That's the hope. My hope this morning is, yeah, we got work to do. But my motivation to you this morning, just like the previous weeks, is not, let's get to work, church, and let's pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and go do this, but that we would rest in the good news of the gospel, that God's heart is for us, that God has pursued us when we were lost, that God cares for lost people, that his heart is one that celebrates when lost people are found. And that when we recognize that that was us, it is through that that we're then motivated to go and proclaim the good news to a world that's dying for good news. That's what we've been empowered with, that's what we get to go and share. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we want to experience the good news and communion. Of God in us this morning I think about our gathering this morning and coming and singing these songs and remembering the good news of Jesus it's meant to be good news for us and we're coming this morning with open hands saying God We need our lives to be saturated with the good news of Jesus this morning. We need our lives to be filled with the good news of Jesus, that we would be soaking with the good news so that when we walk out of this room, that we would be the sent people of God, sent to saturate our city with the good news of Jesus. See, this morning, it's not just about us It's about filling us so we can go and participate in your mission of filling the world. So Lord, send us this morning. Send us with your power, with your words, with your good news for us. And would you do that in us and through us this week, today? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.